Help your four-year-old find joy in learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one-day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at Kings Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone pays kids' price. Kings Island tickets just $45 online. Hello there and welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now this week I want to start off with a bit of housekeeping. For those of you who are on the Facebook group, you probably did see this beforehand. Um, but I thought I'd uh, give it a bit of a shout out this week. Um, I didn't want to do it last week, it was a bit of a somber episode. Uh, and I thought this week would be a little bit better to, to do it on. So we have been voted by uh, a company called uh, blogsfeedspot.com okay apparently this company has around 4 million members um they're quite well renowned for blogging okay so they make top 10 charts and things like this and they have compiled a top 25 ancient history podcasts on the website or on the web and Feedspot has voted this week in history the 21st top ancient history podcast in the world. Now, for a podcast that's only been out for two years, I am really, really impressed. So, um, thank you to all my loyal listeners and to everybody who, you know, comes back every week and listens and puts us in that position to actually be spotted. You know, we don't get spotted on these blogs unless you know unless people are actually paying attention so it's really really nice to see that and it's really nice to um to know that i'm actually being sort of recognized almost for for something that i see as as a a bit of fun and a bit of a pastime and i like to share what i've learned with you guys so yeah thank you very much and everybody who is uh who who is um enjoying the show and enjoying the podcast get yourselves over to facebook get yourselves onto the group and you'll see uh things like this get posted quite regularly if we if we ever get nominated for anything or anything like that that's important to the podcast get yourselves over to this week in history on facebook and and join the group you know you, you'll get to see all the the little things that we do on there and hopefully you'll uh you'll enjoy it so that being said uh you know that's sort of out of the way now 
I'm going to talk about possibly, not possibly, definitely, the most famous king in English history. And I would even go as far as saying he is the most famous king ever to live. And that is Henry VIII. Now, Henry VIII, most people will think of him as the fat king um, or the king who uh, who had many wives and, and things like this. And, and while these are strictly true, there is a lot more to Henry VIII than what we would what we would know. So, as I do with all of these podcasts, I give you a little bit of an overview of what's going on, um, how Henry became King of England, and I'm going to go through almost like a timeline of his life. So there are certain aspects of Henry's life that we can go into in in huge detail um, and do probably an entire episode. You could you could do an entire episode on each one of Henry's wives. Cardinal Wolsey, people who were really important to to Henry. All of these people we can do a single episode on, but I want to do an overview of Henry VIII's life and who he was and, and hopefully teach you guys a little bit more about the legend of English history that is Henry VIII. So, as we know, Henry VIII was a Tudor king. He was the second Tudor king after his father Henry the Seventh. For those of you who have listened to the Wars of the Roses, you will know that Henry the Seventh was the man who stole the king or usurped the king from Richard the Third. Now there are many, many stories in regards to this. Henry the Seventh had a very, very tenuous claim to the throne during the Wars of the Roses, but he used that to push his claim and push his Lancastrian army into the the fold to become king of England and he defeated Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth Fields. When he defeated Richard III, Henry VII claimed the crown of England. It's one of the very few times in royal history where a king has been defeated at battle and lost the crown. Now it has happened a few times. It happened in 1066 with William the Conqueror as well. But this is something that gives a king a very you know a very strenuous and a very difficult reign because there are many people who believe Richard was the rightful king there were many people who didn't see Henry as the rightful king or the you know the the lawful king to go as far as saying Henry the 7th made the choice to marry um Elizabeth of York when he married her he united the two warring houses of Lancaster and York. So if anybody knows of the Tudor Rose, okay, you'll probably have seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's essentially a red rose with a white rose on the inside. Now these Tudor Roses decorate pretty much every mon monument in London um, that dates back to the Tudor times. It's very, very famous. And this comes from the two houses, the Red Rose of Lancaster and the White Rose of York. These combine together to make the Tudor Rose, and like I said, it is a bit of a symbol. Henry VIII was the type of king that wanted to enforce this when he came into the throne, and he plastered these roses all over the country on every abbey, every church, every building that he could find was plastered with a Tudor Rose, just to emphasize the fact that you were under Tudor rule. 
But believe it or not, King Henry VIII, the man of the hour, was not born to be king. He was the spare. Okay, now in most royal societies, you have an heir and you have a spare. Henry was the spare. He was the second son of Henry VII, and his uh, his older brother, Arthur, was to be king of England on the death of Henry VII. So Henry enjoyed quite a luxurious life. As growing up, he grew up in uh, in Greenwich Palace and lived with his mother. Now, this is something that doesn't normally happen. He was born on the 28th of June, 1491. And this doesn't normally happen in royal society. It's not something that happens with a king. But like I said, Henry was not born to be king. With this, Arthur, the older brother, was sent off to learn the trade and learn how to become king. He was sent to Wales. This is something that still happens today. Hence the title, The Prince of Wales. Arthur became the Prince of Wales. Now, the Prince of Wales is the title for the next in line to the throne. It has been for many, many centuries, and it still is today. So Henry doesn't get brought up by his father, like Arthur, isn't brought up by the cardinals and all the church and the clergy that are around him. He's brought up by his mother and his grandmother in Greenwich Palace. And he gets quite a luxurious lifestyle. You know, he's very, very sporty, uh, very into his jousting, uh, into his sword fighting and, and basically messing around like a like a kid would. You know, he, he has a very good lifestyle for a young child. And believe it or not, he was not fat at this point. Now, on the 2nd of April, um, 1502, Prince Arthur dies, making Henry the heir to the throne. Now, what you may not know is that Prince Arthur was married in 1501. And he was married to Catherine of Aragon. Now, that name might be quite similar to one that you know already. And if you do know that name, or you have heard of the name Catherine of Aragon, that will be because later in the year, on September 1502, Henry VII arranges for his son Henry, Henry VIII, to marry Catherine of Aragon at a future date. 1509 comes around and Henry VII dies. Henry VIII is now crowned King of England. All of a sudden, this young man, who is fluent in many, many languages, keen in poetry, sports, uh, music, he was even a composer, uh, he had a broad education in theology, not born to be king, at 17 years old, finds himself King of England and getting married in six weeks to his brother's widow. Very, very strange time, as I'm sure you can imagine. Now, Henry VIII modelled himself as a king on Henry V. Okay, so for those of you who remember way, way, way back, we did Agincourt as an episode. And Agincourt was Henry V. Henry V was a warrior king. He was a leader. He was the type of king that put England on the map. And Henry VIII wanted to be exactly the same. 
And this might be why Henry, over the next 15 years, fought three wars in France. Okay, so he was really, really into conquering parts of France and, and really putting England on the map as force to be reckoned with you know henry did many many things in his tenure he was pretty much the founder of the royal navy you know we've done an episode on the mary rose this was henry's flagship so he when he took over the realm the country was in a good shape okay henry the seventh had spent a lot of time re Cooping taxes from the Wars of the Roses, putting the country in a financially good position. Henry VIII was not as astute with money as his father, and one example of this is the is the navy. You know, um, when he took over, I think the navy boasted five warships, and by Henry's death, they had over fifty. And this was, like I said, a, just one example of Henry's lavish spending. But what we know about Henry VIII, and what many people know, is is the divorce. You know, people know him as the the man who invented, let's say, the divorce. Now, my daughter actually came home from school once and told me, "Do you know that Henry VIII invented divorce?" And I said, "Oh, where did you hear that?" And she said, "My teacher." I said, "Go back to school tomorrow and tell your teacher that Henry VIII did not invent divorce." Because his sister was divorced prior to Henry VIII getting divorced. So the concept was around, but it had to be sanctioned by the Pope, just so you know. Catherine was a very, very good wife to Henry. They actually, uh, there are stories that say, you know, they, they really did love each other. And she actually gave him three sons and three daughters. This is something that's not very well known. All of these died in infancy. Okay. Mary, who later became Mary the first, was born in 1516. So if you can work out there that he took the throne at 17 in 1509 and until 1516, okay, his wife was giving birth every single time, every single year she was giving birth. And every single year, these heirs to the throne were passing away. Until 1516, when Mary I was born. Henry was an active king as well. Okay, He was very, very sporty, like we said before. And he was very interested in... what we, uh, It's hard to explain, but if you've seen things like Game of Thrones and they do the hands tournaments and things like that, he was really, really interested in those... It was the, I want to say circus or theatre or um, cinema of the day. It was that any festival that he could create, any joust and hunting and music and, you know, he wanted that lavish kingly lifestyle and, and the fact that his father left him a realm with worth so much money, you know, played into that quite well. He actually used to compete in the jousts okay and he actually fell off his horse at one point um got an, a wound in his leg and the horse landed on his leg and that wound festered and gave henry trouble throughout his whole life 
And this was all from being that showboating, playing around type of king. Now, in his early years, Henry VIII actually issued a book attacking Martin Luther. Now, I've spoken about Martin Luther before, and it is an episode that I would love to cover. For those of you who don't know, we're not talking about Martin Luther King. We're talking about Martin Luther, the German uh, Catholic reformist. Martin Luther was a man who basically brought around the Catholic Reformation in Europe. Henry was so outspoken about this that he actually earned the title Defender of the Faith from Pope Leo X. So he actually had this like real big Catholic side to him, which is something that you don't really know about in his early years. It's not very well spoken about. He was really, really outspoken against people who were outspoken against the church. He was very backed by the Catholic Church, and I believe this was one of the reasons why he felt he would get an annulment on his marriage at a later date. The problem Henry had at such a young age was he had no heir to the throne, and he was regularly out with other women. This might not surprise you for medieval England, for a king to pretty much have whatever woman he wants it's quite common the problem Henry was having was more the fact that at home he wasn't really getting anything and this was not Catherine's fault like we said she, she'd had six children or seven children including Mary and six of them had died in infancy she'd also had a string of miscarriages as well that that you know didn't even make it to that point and the thing with this is obviously this creates now Henry's problem of not being able to create an heir to the throne although he didn't have an heir to the throne he did treat Mary as if she was she was sent to Wales she was the princess of Wales and she did learn all the things that Henry had to learn in in the few years that he was prince of Wales um, he did father an illegitimate son named Henry Fitzroy in, nine, uh, in 1519. And this kind of caused a few more problems for him because now he knows that he can have sons and this woman, this wife of his, hasn't been able to produce him a son. And when it came into the 1520s, Henry was getting a bit bored of his wife she wasn't doing what he wanted him to do she wasn't producing um, an heir to the throne that that would cement the Tudor dynasty now you've got to remember at this point again Henry VIII being only the second ever Tudor monarch there was always whispers around whether he was the rightful king or whether it should be somebody else Henry was very very clever he knew the Bible like the back of his hand, and in the like I said, in the 1920s, he started to find this real bond with a lady in Catherine's entourage, a lady named Anne Boleyn. Again, probably a name we all know. Anne Boleyn was everything that Henry didn't have with Catherine. He read through the Old Testament, and he found that there is a testament in the Bible 
that states a man should not marry the widow of his brother. And on that grounds, he decided to seek an annulment from the Pope. Now, what we've got to remember at this point, Henry did love Catherine. There was a lot of times where people would talk about their love for each other and how they were a good couple together. But he wasn't getting the love and attention that he wanted for many various reasons. Uh, like we've, we've discussed, he wasn't getting the heir to the throne that he so desired. And Catherine, being sort of 12 to 15 years older than Henry, was approaching an age where she wouldn't be able to bear children anymore. And if he was to stay married to her, he would never produce an heir. So he made this decision to go to the Pope to get his marriage annulled. The Pope, um, Clement the Seventh, basically said no. So he went with the assistance of his advisor, Cardinal Wolsey. Cardinal Wolsey is a very powerful man. Um, he came from nothing. He was a, a man that worked up through the ranks to become basically the most powerful cardinal in England, and. With that, they petitioned the Pope together, and the Pope said, like I said, he said no, and this was mainly due to the pressure that the Pope was receiving from Catherine's nephew. And this just shows you how old Catherine actually was. Catherine's nephew was the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. So this caused an issue now for Henry. He couldn't get the annulment that he wanted so he basically decided if I, the Pope's not going to back me why should I listen to the Pope I'm King of England the law of the land is my land why can't I make the decision on what happens to marriages Cardinal Wolsey was arrested for his failure basically, to help Henry get the annulment that he wanted. And also the fact that Cardinal Wolsey was not a fan of Henry taking control of the Church of England and basically putting himself as head of the church. He was quite outspoken about this, and he was arrested for treason. He died in 1530, and Henry took his house. He died awaiting trial. Okay, so he didn't actually die wasn't beheaded, he died awaiting trial. But Henry nicked his house, and that was Hampton Court Palace. Now, I was actually, believe it or not, in Hampton Court yesterday, a place called Thames Ditton in London. And it's still there, and it is still possibly one of the most beautiful buildings to go past or to go into. It is also potentially, if you believe in that stuff, one of the most haunted buildings in England and when I drove past it at half past seven at night and it's pitch black and you've got the lights shining up the side of the palace I must admit does put hairs on your chest okay I would be uh, very very impressed if it wasn't haunted judging on the, the look that you get from it at night time anyway just completely diverse in there with the backing of the English Parliament and the clergy Henry ultimately decided that he didn't need the Pope's permission 
and he effectively invented the Church of England. Okay, and this was this was his invention. This hadn't existed before him, but now the church. He he decided that maybe Martin Luther had a point. We're going to establish the Church of England, and in 1533, Henry and Anne Boleyn were married. Later that year, Anne Boleyn gave birth to Elizabeth, again one of the most famous monarchs in British history. Good old Queen Bess. Elizabeth was named the heir to the throne and Mary was declared illegitimate. So, all of a sudden, Mary has been the apple of his her dad's eye, been heir to the throne, been the next in line. She's got had all of this pomp and posture and everything going on in her life to make her the Queen of England when Henry dies. The rug's now been pulled out from under her and her little sister, baby sister at this point, has been named the heir to the throne and Mary is now the illegitimate or the bastard child of Henry VIII. England's monasteries were all closed and most of cases, all of the wealth inside these monasteries were now sold off. Okay, This was really, really important. Yeah. Everything that the Catholic Church owned was now being sold. And this was like a slap in the face to the Catholic Church. It was bad enough that Henry had decided to establish his own church. Now he was making it even worse. He was taking their stuff and selling it. In January of 1536, now this is the point I was making a little bit earlier, Henry was unhorsed and injured during a jousting tournament. When the news of his accident reached the pregnant Anne Boleyn, she had a miscarriage, delivering a stillborn son. This injury is very, very important. Might not sound very much. He fell off his horse, the horse landed on him, and he was injured. The effect of this is catastrophic. Henry spurned Anne after this turning his affections to another woman in his court, Jane Seymour. Now, when this happened, six months went past when Henry met Jane Seymour to what I'm assuming most of you guys know, the execution of Anne Boleyn. Now, the reason for the execution of Anne Boleyn, there were many things to be honest the main one being adultery she was accused of sleeping with somebody else in the court she was even accused of that stillborn son not being henry's she was accused of many many things she was even accused of witchcraft and this is due to the fact i have seen many many rumors that suggest Anne Boleyn had an extra finger not sure where well, I know where air is on her hand, but not sure whether it was a little finger or an extra. But the fact that she had six fingers on one hand was a sign of witchcraft, apparently. There were many things that were thrown about the court. And ultimately, Henry decided that adultery was the best one to pick. And he had her beheaded 
in the Tower of London. Now, Anne Boleyn's execution is quite famous. She was taken to the Tower and she was beheaded by sword. Now, this is not something that normally happens, um, but that was the request and, and that's that's what happened. She requested a sword. She was killed by the sword. Um, very young as well when Anne Boleyn was when she died. Best estimates were somewhere between 30 and 35 years old. So she was a young lady and she was executed for something that possibly never even happened. Not long after the execution, Henry married Jane Seymour. She gave birth to a son who then became Edward VI of England. Unfortunately, Jane Seymour uh, had complications during the birth and subsequently died two weeks after the birth of Edward. Believe it or not, yet again, the other children of Henry were pushed to the back of the line and Edward was made heir to the throne. Edward was very, very young, obviously, at the point he was made heir, and he then Henry decided at that point to to bring his other children back into the line of succession. Um, he started treating them a little bit better, and he then put obviously it then went Henry, Mary, Elizabeth. He brought them all back in into the frame, and this was because his dynasty was pretty secure. Now he had a son; his son was quite healthy, and for all intents and purposes the Tudor name was going to live on. Henry's fourth marriage was very similar to his first. Anne of Cleves was a political bride chosen to cement an alliance with her brother. He was the Protestant ruler in Germany. The marriage only lasted a few days before Henry had it annulled. Just didn't wasn't interested in it. He decided to get married, and yeah, that was it. Not really, not really keen on this one for whatever reason. She was, I think, she was a bit of an older lady as well. She was more Henry's age, which you wouldn't think is a problem, but he wasn't having any of it. And he now had the power to get rid of his wives just by saying, Do "You know what? I don't particularly like you anymore. You're not for me. Get rid." Then that's what he did. Anne of Cleves didn't last very long. She was divorced. And he then decided to marry Catherine Howard. Now, Catherine Howard was not a political choice. She was just a lady in the court. She was quite quite a beautiful lady for all intents and purposes at the time. Um, and again, they were married for around two years she also went the same way as Anne Boleyn. She was accused of treason and she was accused of adultery. Again, Henry VIII, judge, jury and executioner, makes a decision that actually she's not, she's guilty of these crimes. She's not the woman I want to be with. And by killing her, he's not really lost anything. And it does get a bit of a pattern here when you can see that the first bride, Catherine of Aragon, political bride, he gets divorced. Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard, both ladies of the court, not really powerful women, not from powerful families, 
just general courtiers. Well, he can get them executed. He can get rid of them completely. Anne of Cleves, again, very political. Can't afford to kill her, but can't afford to divorce her. So I think if the, those those other marriages were not as politically advantaged to Henry as they were, we could have been talking about divorce uh, instead of divorce. Sorry, instead of divorce, having an execution for these other two women as well. But in the last years of Henry's reign, this is where we where we see him as fat or obese. He put on a lot of weight. He was very unhealthy, I think is probably the right word. He always enjoyed a lavish feast and maybe five or six courses per meal. But at this point in his life, he's getting old. He's getting on a bit. He's putting on a lot of weight. Um, there were even there were even things people would say that there was the paintings we see, for example, of Henry VIII being this big king and this burly man, and, and what we would probably consider obese in those paintings. These were years before this. At this point, we're talking about a man who can barely get out of bed. He's that heavy. Um, you know, he had his food brought to him. He couldn't really move very well he certainly wasn't out jousting and things like this he was he was a really really big man i mean we're talking somewhere between 30 and 35 stone um you know he was he was very very heavy and his last years of his reign he grew moody obese he hobbled by personal intrigues and the persistent leg wound from his jousting injury was causing him a lot of problems. And it would do, you know, a pain like that or an injury like that, it, it festers throughout your life. But when you are more unhealthy and you're at a point where you can't even get out of bed properly, this is where um, this is where we have, have an issue that, that ended up costing Henry um, a lot more problems. Now, his final marriage was to a widow uh, named Catherine Parr. This was in 1543. And I do apologise for my mistake earlier. For those of you who have clicked on, it was Catherine Parr that made Mary and Elizabeth join the succession. It wasn't Anne of Cleves. So I do apologise to anybody who's picked up on that going, "Ah, you got it wrong. I've corrected myself now. It was... Uh, Catherine Parr, his final wife, who restored the line of succession with Mary and Elizabeth. Henry VIII died at the age of 55 on January the 28th, 1547. It was basically his jousting wound that cost him his life. Now, he was succeeded by his nine-year-old son, Edward, and that was a uh, i mean that's a story in itself edward edward's not uh, not the best king he was only king for 6 years he was king till he was 15 and believe it or not the queen after edward was not his sister mary the next queen of england or the first queen of england was lady jane grey now although she was never actually 
crowned Queen of England. She was appointed Queen of England. Um, and she was what we call the nine-day queen. She was only queen for nine days until Mary took the throne. I can do an entire episode on Mary the First and an episode on Edward this uh, Edward the Sixth as well. But we've given you a little bit of an overview here about Henry the Eighth. Now, I don't want to go into too much detail. Like I said, when we're talking about the Reformation of the English Church. Um, we could do an entire episode on that. We could do an entire episode on the wars in France. The uh, Anne Boleyn could be another episode. All of his wives potentially could be another episode. But I wanted to give you guys an overview of Henry VIII. Maybe teach you a few things that you don't know already about the man. Maybe, maybe you did know. Maybe there were things in this that I have missed out. There were important parts of his life that we have definitely not covered um, because when we're talking about an overview of someone's life, I want to cover the main points, the things that made Henry VIII famous. The murder of Cardinal Wolsey or the execution. Well, (laughs) there we go. Was it an execution? Was it murder? He died awaiting trial. Henry VIII was a brutal, brutal king. If you stood in his way, you were executed. If you had anything to say that was not towing the line, you were executed. He ruled England with an iron fist, and anybody who stood in his way met the axe. He crushed rebellions, he went to war with France, He built the British or the English army up. He built the navy up. He was a ruler. He wasn't a pushover. And he was not a nice man towards the end. But what we forget about Henry VIII is what he did for England. People see Henry VIII as this man who was horrible to his enemies even hor- even worse to his friends you know you've got to remember people like cardinal wolsey these were friends these were advisors to henry but if you cross that line he had your head he was a strange man and not someone that you can cover in a 45 minute podcast however what you have to remember about henry the eighth is the poem that I've had to teach my kids when we're talking about his wives. And this, to me, sums up everything that you need to know about Henry VIII. And if you're British or English or you know this, you will say it with me. And it goes, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. And that is Henry's six wives which is what he is most famous for in this country and probably everywhere in the world he's known as the king with multiple wives he was known as a lover a showman a warrior he really really put himself on the map and let's be honest guys when we talk about kings and queens i would say majority of people when they think of a king they go straight to henry the eighth He really put himself in that position to be remembered throughout history. And England has got many, many kings that we don't remember. 
you know there are there are loads there are loads of kings throughout english history and henry the eighth he's got to be the best he created the country that we live in now he created the tudor dynasty i know his dad you know his dad started it off but again who really remembers henry the seventh other than the wars of the roses we don't really talk about him we talk about his son the man who was born not to be king but became the most famous king in english history thanks for listening guys we'll see you next week and just remember we all have history make yours great bye-bye in the heat of the moment you're not just keeping it calm you're keeping it cool too with an ice cold cold brew and not just any cold brew but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor with a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top that's keeping it calm cool and cold brewed with duncan's new brown sugar cream cold brew america runs on duncan price and participation may vary limited time offer terms apply finding the right person for the job isn't easy just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations just finished the new sunroom mrs c the best part is i used candy glass for all the windows so you can do this and this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com local today.